What Leah was just singing is um, really that's the definition of what's going on, at least here, and I, I think with most of you on Zoom, it's an awakening, and, and it really is. It, it's it's a awakening, and as you wake up, number one, if when you wake up, if you noticed, um, you never knew you were asleep until you woke up. And there are multitudes who are waking up and realizing they've been asleep and they haven't seen the truth of the gospel. And then as you wake up, you wake up more. Um, <laughs> first of all, you're blinking in the light and then put your feet on the floor. And it's a process of waking up. And many are in that process. And I believe this morning it's going to happen for sure. But let me say this quickly. This morning's message is uh, dedicated and given to our partners. We've mentioned this before. We have partners who support us all over the nation. And um, they. some of them have been partners for, well, the last 50 years. Um, they're almost as ancient as I am. And um, it, it's been very difficult in these last months with the whole pandemic thing to communicate and of course those of us on zoom have overcome that somewhat but there are people who haven't and there are partners many of them and so we dedicate at least once a month and we send it specifically to them on cd because that's all they have and so um thank you partners they're the most faithful bunch of people I know, and I mean that. Because with all the lack of communication in the last year, still, sometimes without knowing what's happening here, they continue to support us every month. And that's fabulous. Thank you. And I want to share a, a phrase, really. A, and it was a phrase that leaped out at me in the Bible school last um when did we have it last weekend? And um, it, it, and therefore, if you were at the Bible school, this will mean a little more to you because it will shed light on what I said there. But it, it stands on its own two feet for everybody else. And so it's in Hebrews chapter two, and uh, well, it's verse eleven. I won't take the time to read the whole chapter, but it says in verse. 11 of chapter 2 of Hebrews for both he who sanctifies and which is a clumsy word that's come down to us through the centuries it simply means uh, one who is set apart and Jesus said um, you are in the world but you're not of it and and if you've woken up you know that and that's what sanctify means and so don't be put off by that word both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. And that is the verse that took sleep from my eyes. Uh, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. And if that's all you hear this morning, that's it. You heard it. He is not ashamed of you. 
And um, that sets people back with shock sometimes who live in the eyes of a God they believe is ashamed of them. And no, it says, we're both of one father and he is not ashamed then to call us brethren. The context, if we'd have read the whole chapter, you would have seen it speaking of the destiny of mankind. We were created for a glory and an honor that's almost too big for us to talk about. And you could say in two parts, there is the honor bestowed upon us in creation. That is uh, the intention before there was time and space, the intention of Father and Son and Holy Spirit to create us. Why would he do it? And it says he created us in order that we should actually be his sons and daughters in Christ, which would be participants in the love of the Holy Trinity. Uh, that's an enormous, we, we have no relationship to the rest of creation. It is there for us. We are the sons and daughters. That, that's our destiny. But then when we come to the second part, when we actually create it, and in Genesis 1, and the first thing that Adam has is this conversation that's recorded in verse 26, Genesis 1, where he is told, this is what it means, that you have authority, you are lords and ladies of all creation. You are the masters of the birds, you are lords of the sea, you are over every land creature, you are the stewards of the earth, you are the vice regents of God upon earth. And then it comes, but, but, we don't see that. No, there's been a fall and man crashes. That is actually part of the meaning of that word. It's a crash. But I want you to carefully hear what that means because many of you have been raised to believe that somehow in what we call the fall, there was a thing called original sin and it was sort of you turned into an evil beast and actually you still have the evil beast and and Jesus at least has landed and and there's a sort of uh, other side of you and it's a fight going on well that is nowhere to be found in the entire scripture I could tell you where it comes from I won't bother except to say it's just not in the scripture what, so listen, what did happen at what we call the fall? What had happened? It's fascinating actually in a sick kind of way to realize what happens. Um, in, just let me preface it by saying in whatever happened in the Garden of Eden, in a moment of time actually, they lost all sense, every awareness of that destiny. It was as if it's it's gone. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they are. And at the same time, they lost all sense of the loving God Father who created them. It's gone. Um, Why was that? It was because of an idea. Okay, we're not talking about a violent takeover. Satan didn't come with his demons and take over. 
It, it was the subtlest. You have to say it was the most magnificent lie that was ever told. If you can think, a lie was told that would shape the entire destiny of mankind thereafter. And it was a good lie, by which, I'm, you know, if you're going to tell a good lie, there's got to have some truth in it to make it believable. But also a good lie makes you think that you thought of it. And so then you make choices, and I just stand back and say, well, you chose, you see. And that's how it was. This idea was presented to man. It was an injection of an idea into the mind of mankind. And Eve accepted it and moves immediately to making it her idea. And so Satan said the lie so subtly, just a suggestion. You understand, I'm not just a suggestion. That if you ate of this tree, it won't be as God said it would. You won't die, but rather you would become as God. It's a jolly good idea, don't you think? And so, so she now looks at the tree and she decides it is a marvelous idea. This is a wonderful tree. And it was her idea. And it was her idea to such an extent she then drags Adam into it, who like a fool listened to her and took. All the while Satan stands back. And he's the author, he's the one pulling the strings, but they believe they've made the choice. And in that moment, something happened that the lie was diffused through their whole being. So their mind now can only think within the boundaries of the lie. Their emotions can only react to happy or unhappy in terms of the lie. And in fact, the lie invaded even the cells of their body and death set in. Now, what do I mean by the lie? It was a sentence that Satan said, that if you eat of that tree, which meant be independent of God, don't listen to his voice, listen to mine. That's behind it. He didn't exactly say that, but that's what it was. Um, and that sentence got inside that sentence changed everything once it was believed so could I put it like this that when I say the lie when we talk about sin I'm really talking about something like a parasite have you ever thought of that have you ever seen a parasite under a microscope have you noticed they all look like snakes and they've got that kind of face to them that's just a thought, but um, it, it is that um, uh, yeah, it's a virus. It's not only a parasite concept, it's a virus, which you, you have the virus and then it affects you in all the way through your body. It's, uh, it, I tell you what it is, it's like black mold and it's a spore that comes and begins to rot and corrupt your whole person. I don't know if you've ever thought of sin like that, but that's that's what it did. And wherever it went, you are making choices to go with it because this virus has gotten into your choice making. It has come and become yours. So they accepted the lie idea. And okay, I'll tell you another one what happened. And this is maybe much closer than all the others. 
you actually have spiritual dementia. It's very sad. Dementia is probably one of the saddest diseases on the planet. But the fact is, the first dementia that we read of in Scripture happened to the human race and happened at this very deep level. Because, you see, with the virus, he became blind on the inside. And as I have said before, it's not a blindness like physical blindness because I know many blind people physically who actually can see more than I can. They, their senses are on alert. They know there's another experience out here. Whereas this blindness that came with the virus of sin lie, his virus, I'm so blinded, I cannot feel, think, or imagine the real world out there. I am locked in to a darkness of blindness. I'm, but more than that, I've lost my memory of what used to be. I've lost my memory of playing with God in the sandbox of the Garden of Eden. It's gone. I don't remember it. I don't remember it. I don't remember my own father. I don't remember that my father is God, creator, lover, who created me solely that we would love together for all eternity. I I can't imagine my origin in God the Father who refused to be God without me. It's forgotten. And now instead of delighting in him as they did this morning... Now they're peering nervously through the branches of a tree, hoping he won't see them. They're terrified of him. They believe that God was someone else, a God they'd created in their virus-fevered imagination. Does that make sense to you? So along with dementia comes amnesia. You see, as to his own identity. Mankind forgot who he is. And this seems so easy to sit here and say it, but to realize this is what Genesis 3 is about. You have forgotten who you are. And anyone with any, no, I was going to say with any sense, that doesn't work because the virus got into the logic and, and, and can't think logically. It, it's, it's part of the disaster. He can't remember his identity at all, but it's not a, a not remembering that I know I'm not remembering. Here, I'm just suddenly, I don't know who I am. It's a terrible, deep spirit amnesia. And with it came a shame. I'm ashamed. This is ridiculous when you think of it, but it's true universally. Ashamed of being human. Now, isn't that weird? I'm ashamed of being who I am. And I back off from who I am. In fact, I'm so ashamed, I don't want you to see. So I'm going to try to hide myself. And we become experts in masks, saying this is who I am because I think it will please you. I, I, I don't know if you really knew me, you could even like me. So I'll find out what you like and I'll be that. We we are bent people who are bent over looking in the faces of our fellow bent human beings 
saying, just love me, just like me, just smile at me, tell me I'm doing a good job, please, because I'm ashamed of me. Maybe if you talk nice to me, I'll feel better about me. It's terrible. Um, so he, he invents a God that fits his own craziness because now he feels he, he's wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong. And so he's got to invent a God that will agree with him. He's got to invent a God who will say he's guilty. And he's got to invent a God that will punish him. And you're looking a little strange at me, but uh, in actual fact, that's true. Uh, People are searching for some sense that somewhere justice will deal with me as I, I should be dealt with. And we call it guilt and shame and we cower before a God we've invented because that wasn't the God who created us. And as Genesis unfolds, it certainly wasn't the God that created us. Um, it's, it's a lethal, lethal idea. It's, it brings death within it, and death is separation. You're separated in death, and there's no way back. And this lie brought death. That is, you're still very much alive, but you're separated in your own mind, in your own thinking, from the God you once knew. He's not separated from you, but this virus has created this hideous, monstrous fantasy and created a God who doesn't like you, a God who's angry, a God who punishes. And you are in your identity totally ignorant of your grandeur. You are now a slave to the reptile that spewed its lies at you when you were made Lord of the whole creation. It's crazy. And so he turns in, okay, put it like this. We were created to look out into the heart of God. And this virus of sin caused us to look inside of us. And that's only darkness. There's nothing there. I only know myself in the eyes of God. And when I turn inward to see if I really am the God that Satan said I was, then all I have is darkness and shame enters. What is this word ashamed? Mankind ashamed. Um, It's got specific meanings, especially in Scripture. But So let me give you a definition. Ashamed means to withdraw, means turn away. That is, if you're ashamed of someone you turn away from them. You don't want anyone to know you're associated with them. You're, so, uh, you're, you're ashamed. So it's a turning away. It means to hide your face from. I don't know that person. I, I don't want to know them. Um, it means to be embarrassed by another. You're ashamed of them and now you're embarrassed by them. It can also mean you're totally disappointed with someone. I expected so much more of you. I'm ashamed of you. It's disappointment. And it can quickly be disgust of another. When we see a fellow human being and we think they're doing something that is totally other than our standards of a human being, we're disgusted with them. It's, It's a shame. All those words mix in. 
And essentially, when we are ashamed of ourselves, it means we have turned in on oneself to turn away from oneself. I look at me and I don't want to know me. I I feel humiliation at being me. I feel disgraced at being me. And I don't even want to see me. Have you noticed that? There's two halves of us. We're split. There's one half that talks to the other half. And one half of me is embarrassed by the other half, you know, and they, but they do, they have nasty conversations. If, if it wasn't me talking to me, I would kick the person out, but I can't because we, that's the way it is. Um, and, and so along with shame comes fear. He's suddenly afraid because he's ashamed before God and he wants to turn away because he believes God's turning away from him. He believes that God is disgusted with him, though he can't put anything to it because he's in the darkness and that's the God he's come to know. Total confusion and a feeling of guilt. God who's turning away from me, doesn't want to know me. A God who's angry with me, frowning at me. Um, I read it the other day, one of our leading evangelicals put it exactly like this. He said, Before Christ, God the Father looked at us with disgust and a scowl of anger on his face. But now since Jesus came, he looks at us with a deep frown. Oh, I guess that's, we've got somewhere. But how is God the Father to you? That's the question. Do, Do you feel that he looks at you with excited delight and love? Or that do you feel he turns away? in disgust it's that that's what he's talking about here adam felt rejection exclusion uh, feelings of being unwanted and he's cringing in shame believing he's not good something's wrong he's not enough of a person he's not what he could be should be ought to be and he's going to be judged for it And let me insist, that's because of the virus. That's the rot that has set in. Because the real God was not that. But this is the God he's made up in his own mind. And it says at that time that he realized he was naked. Now, that's not sort of a... uh, Garden of Eden nudist camp. It's got nothing to do with with that. Uh, naked throughout the scripture um, speaks of much deeper than that. Uh, it would mean that you become vulnerable with no protection. It means people are looking at you and they see you in your raw humanity. And as I said, part of this was being ashamed of being human. I'm ashamed of who I am for some reason. I don't know, but I am. And and, and so they is described as naked. And therefore, they are ashamed. And what did they do? And this is important. They put on fig leaves. And that wasn't sort of all over them. They, it says they made aprons. Um, that's an interesting word. Uh, all through the uh, Old Testament, this word is used. This is the only time that it is given the idea of an apron or a skirt or some. 
Every other time it's used in the Old Testament, it means armor, a belt full of weapons that you are ready to protect yourself. That's in. So when it says they took fig leaves and made skirts or an apron, anywhere else in the Bible it says they put on their armor belt. That's interesting, isn't it? An armor belt. That means my nakedness, I'm vulnerable, so don't come near me. And if you do, I've got weapons to protect myself, to make myself appear better than I am. And if you get too close, I will hurt you and I'll expose your nakedness. You get the sick picture. That's, and of course, that was before the, the presence of God made himself known in the matter. This is just between Adam and Eve. They've already started a war in their marriage. Interesting. Adam was afraid of Eve, afraid of what would her reaction be to his guilt and his shame. So he protects himself with armor from his wife. So the fig leaves were armored to protect each other against the other. And you could say the the fig leaves were the guardians of the mind. That is, in my mind I've got this lie that I'm a god. Everything about me says, but you're not. So I'll put on armor and you're never going to see that, that I'm not enough. You're never going to see that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I'll I'll keep you at distance because I'm ashamed. I say, dementia, when God comes to visit, they don't know who he is. You, you got to, he's your dad. He's your creator father. And you don't know who he is? Worse, they think he's somebody else. And you're, you're nodding, you know dementia. And this is real, that that demented people live in their own world a hideous world where they forget who you are and and think you're somebody else And, and and this is they're hiding from god now hiding from god their life their lover who calls them beloved children they're hiding from god and hiding from themselves and pretending they're not who they are ashamed of being human and then the presence of God shows up. I love the questions of God. You know, where are you, Adam? Could preach a sermon on that. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> and then Adam says, "Well, I was afraid." You say, "I was, I was afraid." That's a new word. That word's never been in human vocabulary before. He he invented that word to describe this feeling. You're afraid. Why would you be afraid? Because I'm naked. I love the answer. Another question. God said, who told you you were naked? (sighs) Who told you you were naked? Who told you that something's wrong with you? Hear me, hear me. God doesn't come as a flaming dragon to punish them. 
That's only in religion's theology. It's not in the Bible. God says, who told you that? Who on earth told you that there's something wrong with you as a human being? You're beautiful. You're good. I created you. Who planted this idea in you so that you're ashamed of who you are? Who is this God that you're hiding from? Who is this God that you think is disgusted with you? I say it again, they didn't know their father. I say it again because I'm trying to get over it and realize that the amnesia is bad enough, but this dementia, because it carries with it such an inward world of confusion, they're drawing back from him, thinking he's that one that now is condemning them because they're naked. He said, I created you naked. Who, who told you there's something wrong with you? You were made to be known, transparent, to love each other as human beings. Now you're confused and, and you think there is a God who is hiding away, turning away, saying, I don't want to look at you. You know that, that thing they're always talking about in, in pulpits these days, you know, that the God is too holy to look on sin. What an absolute forget it but yeah that that's what's that's exactly what's going on here they portrayed a god that was hiding and turning his face and said i'm disgusted with you you're naked instead god says oh my dear little kids what's what's the matter with you what who who told you you were naked i made you naked there's nothing wrong with you hmm they don't know they have the amnesia. They, they have forgotten their origin, that they were meant to be the peak of creation, just a tad lower than God, and through Christ be in the Holy Trinity. They've forgotten it. They're a slave of a reptile. That, when, when Satan took on some form, he chose a reptile that fully ex exegeted who he is. And now these who were lords of the universe are slaves of a reptile. No. I don't know where you're coming from in your religious past, but get this straight. God never turned away from the human race. Never. He was never ashamed of us. He was never disgusted, but he acted in grace. Now, of course, that's another one, isn't it? We, we have the, our definition of grace from an old hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, yeah, that's true. But there's a lot more to grace. Grace is essentially, grace is not to do with wretches like you. Nothing that that is true, but it's not the truth. Do, do you realize God's grace started before creation? Why would he ever create us? Give me a reason. The only, <laughs> the only reason he created us was the gift of himself, the concept of you being a human being is a gift from God. 
You are in every trillion cells of your human body. You are a gift from God to you. That's grace. Grace only, sin only comes in at this point, but grace, the, the creation, the trees, the grass, the birds, they're all God's gift. Grace, grace, grace. See, grace is not demeaning. Grace is not some sort of put down where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throws you a dollar because you look homeless, you know. And that's grace. No, no. (laughs) Grace is God love delighting to pour his love gifts, the gift of his very self, pour it upon you before we were even born to do good or evil. That's why it's grace. You didn't earn it. And you you don't have to introduce deserve it because then you start adding up behaviors. Uh, because how could you deserve it? It was before you were born. It was just God giving himself to you. Um, but let me put it this way. Um, every parent showers grace upon the newborn. Well, actually, you've only got to find out there's pregnancy. And then the entire extended family starts gracing. That is, they start pouring out upon this yet-to-be-seen child all manner of gifts and love. And when the child is born, the royal court is in attendance to give to this child anything and everything that one blink of the eyelid will suggest. That's grace. Do you realize? It isn't, it isn't that the kid did something wrong and now you're not going to spank it. No. The fact of its existence is grace. And as the child emerges from that beginning stage, it's born in now that this is my mother, my father, and, and grace, grace, grace. So grace, it's the celebration. Grace is the sheer delight over one that's unconditionally loved. And actually to the point of stupidity. (laughs) You're going to spend nights up. That's grace. You're going to give yourself away. You're going to go without what you want for this kid. That's grace. Can you think like that about God and forget the wretched bit? God acted toward this demented couple, which is the human race, incidentally. And he acted toward them as they really were, not as they thought they were in the same way that you would act with someone with dementia, you don't go along with their fantasy. You treat them as the person you know they are. And he treats them as those that are as close to him in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And in anticipation, celebrates, rejoices over us. So Zephaniah, you know that, 317, the Lord your God in the mystery rejoices over you with singing. 
And it's the image of a lullaby that taking you and he sings over you. That's God. Or Luke 15, God is the one who says, rejoice with me, rejoice with me, which means have a party. I found my sheep, I found my coin. When, when the prodigal son starts into the whole shame thing and says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father shuts him up and says, let's have a party. You are my son. Actually, you know, it says in Romans, and you get the drift there, it says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Gra- do you hear that? Grace had been there before. That's a creation. The mind of God was grace. But now sin enters. What's going to happen now? Oh, grace will abound even more to cover this one too. And, and as I've said, uh, we are accused of preaching hyper grace. You might have heard that as if it's some terrible thing. Um, but we've been accused of hyper grace. Well, can I give you a quick lesson on Greek? that this verse I just quoted, where sin abounded, grace did much more in Greek is hyper. So it says, where sin abounded, grace hypered. So I think I'm in good company. So it says in the text we're trying to get to the heart of, it says that he is not ashamed to call us brethren. And where it says not there, that's really good enough. I mean, uh, that is what the word means. Except in the uh, Greek language, they can put an emphasis that we can't in English. We only have to sound it out. But it really means there, he is absolutely not ashamed. It means there's not the possibility. He cannot be ashamed of you. He cannot. He's absolutely not ashamed. And, and therefore, um, it, it's, it's the reverse of that is that he sees us, his sons. He's not ashamed of us. We, in this crazy thing going on inside of our heads, which completely controls us, and we believe that it's right because we chose it, Father's not participating. Do you you understand? Humankind invited the darkness. God said, I'm not playing. So many people don't get that. They think God plays the same insanity as we do. As the demented person assumes that you're part of their world in a very negative way, but you're not. You're standing outside of their world weeping over them because of their condition. God's not playing the game. You say that God separated from me. God can't look at me. I'm guilty. God just smiles and says, you are my son. Like he did to the prodigal. You are my son. You're my beloved. You are my joy. And and you've lost your mind. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus, the holy groom, his wife-to-be has lost her mind. And he, well, that, that does change how Jesus came to find one that he dearly loved. 
and was not going to let it go. And of course, someone has said, well, in Hebrews 2, it's speaking of Jesus, that he's not ashamed of us. But in their understanding, but the Father, have you ever heard that? Jesus loves you, but I'm not sure about the Father. Well, of course, can we establish then they're not Christians? They're beloved of God, like everybody, but they're not Christians because you don't believe in the Trinity. You see, the Trinity means there can be no separation. It isn't that we got three gods standing next to each other with three opinions. It means that the Father is God in all the fullness of love, that God is love. But it says Jesus, God the Son, is not standing beside him. It says he's out of him. It's a specific word in Greek, ek. It means out from. So it means that all that the Father, everything the Father is, Jesus is. He's out from. And so whatever the Father's mind is, Jesus is the Word and the Revealer. But, so Jesus is everything the Father is except he's not the Father. And the Father is everything Jesus is except he's not the Son. And both apply to the Holy Spirit. When you meet the Holy Spirit, he's not some sort of uh, crazy uncle that lives in the basement and you're ashamed of him. No, the Holy Spirit is everything the Father is, is everything the Son is. It's Trinity. But people people say, well, see, Jesus isn't ashamed of us, but the Father is. He was about to damn us in hell. Jesus came in. Jesus saved us from the Father. I've heard that preached. Um, no, that, as I say, is not, then you're not a Christian. I, I don't know what you are, mor- moralist, I guess, or something. But um, Jesus is the face of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This gets down into my guts, I tell you. The Father is not turning away from you. The Father isn't scowling. He's not frowning. He's got a smile as big as the universe. He loves you. And and I say again, when they accepted a new center which was not there, because a lie is not, it's unreality, but they chose that as their center and this whole thing crashed into them. God did not join in the game, nor, nor did he reject them. He doesn't agree with them, but he doesn't reject them. He doesn't turn away from them. All it did is to show us his love is more than we could ever imagine. Because he said, in effect, immediately, because it's Genesis 3.15, he said it. So they didn't have to have a Trinity Council meeting to see what we're going to do now. Adam's fallen and he can't get up. Dear Lord, what are we going to do? Um, we had such plans, and now they've blown it. I, I don't know. Um, hey, I'm only echoing what some people say. Instead, immediately, the God who is love, who is good, immediately, he, he reveals his purpose and plan that he is going to become one of his own creation. Now, do, do you know what incarnation means? You know, 
baby in Bethlehem, yes. Uh, but when you, you realize the eternal purposes of God, everything God had ever promised, everything God really was, comes to a head in gynecology with the cry of a baby, newborn. God, God the Son, expressing the complete mind of the Father through the upon of the Holy Spirit, God became human. Can I just say that for the next half an hour? God became human. Not like us. He became us. So much so he began as a speck in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he was born through a birth canal. He's one of us. And that's where this word brethren comes in. Sounds a terribly religious word, brethren. Um, We don't have really the same, we can't say the same in English. So it comes out as brethren. Um, Doesn't, see that sounds like brothers. It's, it means sister in two. <laughs> it's, um, the meaning of this word is he's not ashamed to call us those who came out of the same womb. That's what it means. It means that you are family to the point where you came out of the same womb. That's what it means. God is joining the race and he came out of a human womb and he 101% joined us where we were. God is saying, look, I'm not ashamed of you. And if you can't believe that, take a look at this. I'm so not ashamed of you, I have become one of you to forever be identified with you. We're one. Out of the same womb, I'm as human as you are. And standing in solidarity with you. And of course that carries on, and we read the Gospels, we've heard it so much we don't hear it anymore. But, and, and you've heard me talk about it. You know, he wasn't embarrassed. See, in those days, you and I, we would have been embarrassed by tax collectors. I, I won't try to even liken it to anything today, but embarrassed, they wouldn't be seen talking to a tax collector. That would have, made, that would have been the shame of the town if you were caught talking to one. Scream, curse, spit at one. Now you're a hero in town. But and and eating was that was a making of a covenant. When you eat with someone, it was some sort of they called it table fellowship. It was you you were binding yourself, standing in solidarity. Jesus sat publicly and ate with tax collectors, which said, I'm I'm their friend. I stand in solidarity with them. I'm having fun with them. That, that, you realize that's why the Pharisees, the religion of the day, was so enraged at Jesus, because he wasn't ashamed of people. 
He wasn't ashamed of lepers. He laid hands on them. You were supposed to stand 15 feet away from them. And that's only when the wind was in the right direction. Jesus went up and touched them. He wasn't ashamed of them. When, when the fullness of God, when everything that God is became human, he was not ashamed of the worst human that the race could produce at that time. Now think about that. And of course, um, in, in Luke 15, which he spoke to the tax collectors so the Pharisees could hear, he identified the tax collector with the my sheep and my coin and my son. He was saying they're not only not outcasts, they are incasts. They're included. They're the my of God. Wasn't ashamed of Peter. Stop and just let it blow your mind that he cursed, blasphemed, and said, I don't know the man. And the first words that Jesus said after he rose again was, Tell my disciples and Peter, because he will never think he's my disciple anymore. But I'm not ashamed of him. <laughs> not ashamed of Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he's your Osama bin Laden. He, he's the tormentor of the church. Then All he said was, Saul, Saul. My Saul, what are you doing? Is that it? You're going to crush him like a roach? No, I'm going to sit down and say, now get up off your feet. You've got some talking to do. I've got a big plans for you, Saul. Uh, you, you've heard me on that before. The, the father in the prodigal son gave his son the best robe. Was that because the father was embarrassed of him? No. He'd already been hugging him and kissing him in his filthy state. He wasn't embarrassed of his son. Then he gave the best robe to the son. So the son wouldn't be embarrassed going into a party in rags. Uh, he called us hidden treasure. He called us pearls of great price. He, but now, I don't know if you've heard me, I said he became one of us. Which means he entered into the home of the insane. You got, oh no, he, he did more than that. He became one of the patients. How is God ever going to change our minds? He's got to get inside our mind and from the inside show us the truth. Because you see, if it's coming from the outside... But it didn't stand a chance. Don't you remember you got the fig leaf belt? As soon as anything, you, you, your, your fig leaf belt is your armored guard against anybody that's going to challenge what is truth to you. You can't get inside. When the prophets came and they said thus and so, it was translated as something entirely different to, in the minds of the people. It's the truth. I can speak the truth but a person can hear it, the very reverse of what I'm saying. 
because the fig leaf is the armored guard to make sure you're not getting in here. So how does God get into us? He became one of us, and I mean one of us. He became one with us as we were with the mind of Adam. He got inside a mind that was dark, in dementia, amnesia. But you see, he is God. A hundred percent son of God, as well as being a hundred percent human. So as human, he can get inside of us, but as God, he can stand against the darkness. And with a human mind, you get it? God had a human mind, and with a human mind can say that's a lie. And consistently throughout his entire earthly life, from when he was a toddler, age appropriate, he meets every lie. And he meets not only every lie, but the lie with a thousand faces. And he meets it exactly as Adam and Eve did in the garden. And he meets it exactly as every one of us have heard it. The voice within, subtle, friendly, who is twisting everything. And instead of trying to argue with the voice, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only hear what I hear my father saying. And the truth blasts away the lie. And he emerges as one that says he suffered, and that's his suffering. He came as one of us, faced everything we've ever faced in the lie, in our dementia, in our amnesia. Only refused to be Adam. He chose. He chose not just another idea. He chose the only reality that there is. He chose it. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yes. But just a minute. He, he's, yes, I, I, I know he's God. But do you realize when the father said that he was speaking to the human Jesus who had just been baptized in the River Jordan. What's happened? Since Adam, we've had an entire race that believed the lie. And now one of that race has refused. And for the first time in all creation history, you have a human being being what a human being was supposed to be. Jesus didn't come to show off that he's God. He came to show you what a human being was always meant to be. To get into the insane asylum and tell the inmates from the inside that there's another world out there and that's the world you were created for, not this. We've taken it for granted that this is as good as it gets. Jesus said, look at me, not only will you see the Father, but in looking at me, you will see yourself. You, he, he's our identity. And so that's what it's all about. And of course, when it comes to the cross, it wasn't just him that he's now facing the line. Now, from his victory of, of being the man, the last Adam, now he gets inside the 
mind of the human race, and that's the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, came where we were. And when I say came where we were, I don't mean standing beside. Can you accept this? He became us. Which means he took the dementia of our darkened mind and made it his. The, the words are too big for me to find. It says, 2 Corinthians 5, he became sin. He never sinned, but he entered into solidarity with us to the point where the mind of Adam became his mind. So when he overcame it, this time, he destroys the mind of Adam. He strips the reptile of its fake authority. And he overcomes death. Can, can you comprehend? Death means separation. Well, how can it be separate when God himself has stepped inside death and said, Oh, I'm here. That's the end of all nonsense of separation. He couldn't get closer. And in that death spoke love. In that darkness spoke light. In that darkness, life that was bigger than death. And the Father raised him from the dead. And that is spoken of in Psalm 2. It's a prophetic psalm. And you might remember it. Why do the heathen rage? And then he says... But then, and you have to read it, it becomes pretty obvious. The Father is saying to the Son, and in the Acts of the Apostles, that verse is quoted as being the resurrection. And the Father, now listen to me so carefully. The Father said, You are my Son. This day have I begotten you. Well, I thought Jesus was the unbegun forever son. Yes, he was, is. But he has so become human that now embracing us, he comes and the father says, now you as the son who has become human and embraced human with you, you are my son. Do you understand that? You, you were there, you see. He's your representative to the point of actually becoming you. So when he came out and the father says, you are my son, this day have I begotten, birthed you. That's you. And when he spoke to Mary in the garden a few minutes after the resurrection, do you remember that? Do you remember he said two things that had never been said before? I ascend to my father and your father. But then he said, go and tell my brethren. That's the first time that word is used. Jesus said, it's, he always spoke of my father. Now he says, my father and your father. And go and tell my brethren, we've come out of the same womb. 
So we came out of the same womb because he's human as we are. But we came out of the same womb of the resurrection. We both rose from the dead together. And now he says he's your dad and my dad. We are brethren. We came out of the same womb. He's not ashamed. He said, these are my brethren. We came out of the same womb together. And from that time on, do you remember some of the verses now, they might make more sense. What about 1 Peter 2.9? You are his own special people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Does that make more sense now? He went into our amnesia darkness, into our demented darkness where we lived. But he brought us out in the resurrection. Um, Ephesians 5, 8 says, For once we were darkness. Notice we weren't in the dark. We were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Or speaking to us like Leah sang and I commented on, Ephesians 5.14, Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. That's what it's all about. Colossians 1, giving thanks to the Father. He's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom the Son of His love. And when we do witnessing, what do we do? Acts 26 says, go and open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. The new real idea is the gospel. And that explodes the idea that doesn't exist, the lie. The only place in all of Scripture that you will find disgust and shame being given to anybody is from religion. Oh no, and Satan. Um, religion is Satan's mouthpiece. That's in Revelation, but I won't go there. But um, religion and Satan portray God as the despiser, the shamer, and the one who's disgusted with us. Well, that means... Wow, what does it mean? How can I say that? What does it mean? A man in Scotland said, it's better felt than telt. (laughs) Yeah, it is, because I don't know how to say it. Because it is a lifting of, well, darkness. It's waking up and realizing an entire world has been happening while you were asleep and didn't even know it. Or if you follow through much of the imagery of the New Testament, you wake up in the middle of the dance floor and realize a party's been going on all around me and I was so asleep I didn't even know it. Worse yet, it was in your honor. And you wake up to the Holy Spirit saying, have this dance with me, yeah. It means we no longer are hiding. And I I know for some listening, I, I don't know. 
you know, he, we're in Christ. And I've heard this, that Father put us in Christ to hide us so he wouldn't have to look at us. No. You are in Christ so that you may be as close to the Father as Christ, that he may see you as he sees Christ means you are brethren. You're one of the family. It means that in union you might be, well, it says in 1 John, as he is, so are we. Same womb. He's not ashamed of you. You're his number one delight. That's what it's saying. You, you live in a reality where there's no possibility of rejection or expulsion. If, if you were to be rejected, if you could be excluded, then we must reverse the ascension. But then I have to reverse the resurrection. And as for the cross, well, just forget it because it meant nothing. But then I'd have to reverse the incarnation. In fact, I'd have to reverse creation and no one will be here anyway, so that's the end of that. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? This isn't just an idea we're throwing out. This means you are not rejectable. He's not ashamed to call us his birth brothers and sisters. Oh. It says, you know, that we're, we're the eyes of him who knows all things. Well, I'm trying to think of the scripture in Hebrews 4. He's the word and the eyes that know all things. Well, in Revelation, eyes is flaming fire. People are terrified of that. No. It means he knows me. He absolutely knows every thought, every move of desire, and is not ashamed of me. That voice that sits beside you in the car and tells you how rejectable you are is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you hear some people say, the Spirit convicted me and I felt like a worm and a nothing. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. You got mixed up with reptiles there. But <laughs> that's not, no. There's no frown. There's no rejection. It, it means I can walk vulnerable. I don't need fig leaf belt of armor. It's okay that he knows me. We walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from all sin. It was a once and for all shedding of blood. And it means we're worthy of his gifts. Now that causes pause. Yes, you're worthy. See, that's where you get that wrong, such a wretch as I. And so now... We beg, we plead, we grovel before this God of our imagination to have a gift. There's something, and I'm, I shouldn't bring this up, but why not? Um, in the last number of months, we have had a plethora of prophets that are telling us the future, allegedly. 
Uh, do you realize, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but that's Old Testament. The New Testament prophet is not a foreteller. The New Testament prophet only tells you about Jesus. We've got no other message. Old Testament, that was another world Well, they needed prophets to outline. And when you needed to know the will of God, you went to the prophet and you said, what's the will of God? Don't ever, don't you dare do that in the New Testament. What are you doing? You're negating the whole work of Jesus. He said, in that day, every person will know me. You don't need a prophet anymore. Don't go to a prophet to see the future. Go to a prophet to hear an exposition of the beauty of Jesus. We've got no other message left. He's come. Because you're not ashamed. So-and-so is coming to town. I'll go and have them pray for me. Why? As if God's ashamed of you, but he's got some in on God. The charismatic is wrong. There are not special people who have special gifts that God has given to his pet people. We're all in this. He's not ashamed to call you Brethren of the same womb, I, I, I don't, I, I sit before God uh, uh, equal in Christ, same, there it is. And of course it changes how you look at other people, because hard as it may be, you are brethren too. It means I can't despise, I can't exclude. If I'm not excluded, if I'm forgiven, you're forgiven. We're in this. We are brethren of the same. You came out of the same womb as God incarnate came out of. You came out of the same womb as the resurrection. And your worst enemy did too. Shucks. (laughs) It changes my whole attitude toward people. Well, there it is. I landed the plane. But, um, yeah, we are people beloved. There is no shame. And I find my identity in the eyes of God. He calls me son in the same way as he calls his son, son. Mine because I'm in the son. And if you can sleep thinking about that tonight, you're a better man than I am. Let it deeply sink in. You are in Christ. And the Father is no more ashamed of you than he is of Jesus. Amen. Father, we give you thanks that that is the way it is. Therein is your final truth in Christ Jesus. And we this day sit knowing our acceptance, our inclusion could not be better than it is. To that end, we receive your blessing. Amen.